Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of Fempeak, a place where visionary women come to gain live access to global leaders and rub shoulders with their peers to reach their peak potential. My guest on today's podcast is our very own Jessalyn Dean, who is Fempeak's lead finance and wealth share party. I met Jessalyn on Clubhouse, and my first impression of her was that this is someone I want to work with. Her avatar was showing a daring blue background, and she stood out with a blonde faux hawk. I think that's what it's called. And now she's sporting a shaved head, which really suits her, by the way. I would describe Jessalyn as daring and courageous. She calls herself a calculator's risk taker. Now that day when we recorded this podcast, I had a very difficult experience in an investor meeting, which made me feel quite emotional. And I actually got a bit teary during our interview. So you will also get a little glimpse into what an entrepreneurial journey can be like. Now, enough of a background. Let's get right into the conversation with Jasmine Dean. So I had the worst uh, morning today. <laughs> so let me tell you about that. Yeah, I had I had my worst ever investor pitch, um, and I actually cried afterwards <laughs> because I felt so. Uh, I've never, I've, uh, you know, it, it may be too much sharing this on, on the podcast, but then on the other hand, I think, you know, when you talk about entrepreneurship, um, you have to do the ups and the downs. Yeah, exactly. Because people look at, you know, what we've, we're doing with Fanpeak and they uh, they think that, you know, like I've got it all figured and, and there is no, uh, you know, that there's, there's no, no doubts. Uh, there's no questioning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, you know, there are ups and downs, right? So and, and, uh, as we are building this, I would like to be able to share both the ups and downs yeah. with the audience and like sh uh, show them the real picture of, uh, you know, uh, what it's like to build a big network yeah. like this and, and uh, you know, uh, all of those things. So, yeah, I had a terrible investor pitch, which was pretty unfortunate because it was um, introduced by someone that I, um, I know uh, very well and, you know, they're really trying to help now. I'm not going to go into the details of who made the introduction here, but basically just a number of people who are really helpful and really want to see this succeed. So they made the introduction and uh, it was a lady that I was uh, meeting with um, from uh, uh, from an investor, um, you know, investment fund in New York and, you know, we see and uh, so everything check 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 you know you would think that the right introduction it's a woman you know she's going to care it was about a warm it. introduction as well like it wasn't just yeah a exactly pitch. yeah yeah exactly so this is how it went uh, so lady arrived uh, late and i'm waiting and um, there was somebody else on the call that i didn't know initially was going to be on the call that's all fine so we're waiting so she arrived uh, a few minutes late then she arrived she was like i need to answer this uh, thing on my phone so she was on her phone uh, sending a text message that was another minute or so and we were waiting here pl uh, exchanging pleasantries around uh, my cat <laughs> with with the other gentleman right and and uh then um uh, she said, okay, I don't know why we're here. I was like, okay. Uh, so I, I have no idea what we're talking about. I was like, uh, how's that for like throwing you off? <laughs> so I was like, I remember we were introduced by so-and-so. Um, were you introduced uh, over email or how had the original yes. introduction happened? Email and actually they, uh, and I provided my 
uh, Calendly link. So they booked a, uh, booked a Calendly, um, yeah. you know, session. So um, I was like, um, okay, so remember, so I was so introduced and, you know, it's about this, this uh, platform I'm building and we are now raising funds and, uh, she was like, okay, so where are you in your funding? I was like, I've put in this much of my own money and we've raised uh, this much, you know. Uh, so at this level, we are recording this because uh, you know, some people might listen to this six months later, but at, at, as of this recording, when this happened today, we've raised um, half a million so far. And, uh, you know, I've put in um, uh, 120 grand pounds uh, or nearly $200,000 of my own money. So this is where we are right now. And uh, we are raising another half a million as part of our seed fund. So uh, then she went straight into uh, asking questions about uh, the numbers. Uh, you know, there wasn't any question around the, the vision, anything around my background, you know, why I'm doing this. Because you would think that personally, I'm like, you know, if I'm investing, and I have invested uh, in other businesses. If I'm investing, I invest in the jockey, not the horse, because if the jockey is yeah. good, you know, they will, they will find the right horse. You know, they will. So she had no interest in me uh, as the founder, uh, only interested in the numbers. I tried my best to, uh, you know, because I'm so used to starting with the what are know, we doing? And the philosophy, yeah, what we are yeah. doing, what we are trying to achieve. So I had to kind of turn my. Um, pitch uh, on his head and go straight in with those. So, um, you know, I did the best that I could. And then I was like, okay, so we now have over 55,000. It's actually coming up to about 60,000 women in our uh, mailing list who have opted in. And then from there, we um, onboard them to the platform. Uh, and there were questions around how come there are 60,000 or 55,000 people in the mailing list. and only 12,000 women on the platform. I was like, well, it's a process, you know, they come in. It takes time. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like you have to take them on a date, right? We can't, yeah, it's we can't. a journey. <laughs> yeah. We it's have to date like, them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's like, you know, it's it's a journey um, and, and that's a process. And then we're looking at the platform. She was like, so how come there are only 300 people, 400 people in the, uh, in each session, I was like, uh, "Do you expect all 11,000, 12,000 to be in every session? Like, there's time." To yeah, all of them are free at exactly the same moment in time, everywhere in the you world. Know, <laughs> and of course, yeah, I know. And of course, different people have different interests, different topics that we talk about. Hundred percent. So, I mean, that's so, what we say about Fempeak is that every woman is at a different place in her journey, and we are bringing content to her where she is in her journey, and we are working on figuring out where in her journey she is. So, not every piece of content is relevant to every single woman exactly and then of course you know like clubhouse has got 10 million uh users you know how many people join every session right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway so so then she was like okay the business model is not clear and like oh you're not kind of letting me do it the way that i normally would you know that i haven't like, explained I have a, the business model to you I know, like, <laughs> like i have a flow and you've thrown me off your uh, off my flow by being late, being on your phone, then saying, I don't know why we are here, you know, I like you just completely uh, thrown me off my my flow. Uh, so I, I explained the business model. I said, these are the, the areas that the revenue streams, potential revenue streams. So then she's like, uh, show me the team. I was like, okay. So I showed that uh, who is full time. I was like, we work in an agile way. We don't need everybody to be full time. You know, the different people fill different roles and 
not all of them need to be full-time. So uh, the people who are full-time are the executive team and the assistants, you know, the um, people who are actually on the floor, you know, doing on the ground. Doing the doing, doing, yeah. And then there are people who, like, for example, we have Professor Sarsi here. She's a professor at MIT. Like, she can't work with me full-time, right? So she, Right. If I'm you if you ask her to close. quit and come work full-time for Fempeak, then she's no longer a Professor Sarah Seeger at <laughs> MIT. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so there's this, this question around, you know, how many people are full-time? Well, uh, a number of people are full-time and uh, there are people who work, you know, in different uh, capacities at different times. Um, and then uh, the question, the, this is, then she's like, uh, I feel like we've been here for 20 minutes and we haven't uh, achieved anything. I was like, uh, okay, what would you like to know? <laughs> and then she's like, who do you have to help you with marketing? I said, well, I run a marketing agency, right? And this is what I do for a living. And that's where I got the money to put into this. Uh, I run a marketing agency. I've been in LinkedIn top voice three years in a row. You know, That's I how we got to following. the numbers that we got to with zero advertising to, spend. With zero advertising, exactly. With zero advertising spend. And uh, we, you know, I've got this big network. And also I work with Steinway pianos, you know, most expensive pianos in the world. I've been working with them for five years. So, uh, you know, I've been doing all of their, their marketing in the UK and, um, you know, work with Neurocopia Electronics. We have a whole number of uh, clients that we work with. Um, I've worked with in the past with companies that work, you know, that uh, I've worked with uh, Emirates, you know, like basically I know what I'm doing with marketing. I'm not going to go and pay somebody uh, to, I'm not bringing in a CMO anytime soon because this is what I do. This is one of my specialties. I feel like also and, if someone had looked at your LinkedIn profile, that well, would have no, I mean she had absolutely no idea who I was no no uh interest I think <laughs> you know maybe that's just so me I... being like ignorant like I would expect before an investment you know like you said investors are normally investing in the jockey and not the horse Easily. so I I would think they've done some google of your name in no, advance of a meeting but maybe that's and then she was like okay uh uh so so when I said well I I'm a marketing expert I do it yeah. I do right and she said okay it sounds like you don't need my help i was like uh okay and she said okay have a good day i was like okay have a good day <laughs> and did, did she think you were asking her for marketing help that's my question because i don't i, I don't know why that was the point where we said okay you uh, so you don't need my help like how how do these two things go together because I'm here to seeking investment and asking for marketing advice are completely unrelated things. So anyway, this is this was my day, my morning, and uh, I cried a little bit afterwards because I was like, "What did I? What? What? What just happened? What? <laughs> what just happened? Like, was the feeling felt, uh, because of how the meeting went, or was it also like, no, I this felt, was a potentially really you. big investor with a lot no, of money? No, it wasn't like that because I had no idea whether or, or how much you would invest or anything like that. You know, I'm talking to a lot of investors. No, the what happened. I think the thing that really pushed my button was that I felt really belitt belittled, right. and, you know, and it reminded me of, uh, you know, uh, you know, that story of my, <laughs> I've, I've said this before, my a science teacher who said, you will never amount to anything, you know, and like my mother came to school and, you know, she slapped me in the face, so it just felt like that. It felt because, like that, yeah. 
how, how in terms of like all of the investment pitches that you've given how many have been to a woman obviously it's been much less to women because women generally invest less yeah. um but this was definitely the worst uh and i'd say like in terms of percentage maybe 20 percent has been to women because jyoti and bijna and i were talking about this yesterday that at least like in the financial services industry there's still this leftover culture where women have fought so hard to get to where they are that you know not intentionally when they connect with other women it's like they're defending their place that they have fought to get to and so the collaborative nature of women is that's not so where we would expect it to be that's so funny you say that because that's exactly what, like afterwards i was just so in shock that i sent a message to the person who made the introduction and said look the conversation unfortunately didn't go very well uh when you have time we can talk about it so i can explain to you because i just I felt like if they have a conversation i wanted to explain kind of like what happened yeah uh, at least from my perspective and then i sent a message to lola and said look I'm, i feel so crap i just had a terrible pitch you know can we talk and and i said this to lola and that's exactly what she said she was like you know maybe she didn't um feel supported when she was uh going up the ranks and I, I i don't know but i just um i felt like not listened to and belittled like yeah the, the i mean the way that you've phrased it the questions that she was asking sound i don't know if amateur is the right word but like that's kind of like but that was exactly my uh you know like i was so uh, shocked by the questions actually because if you know anything about the nature of how social media works like on LinkedIn you know there are close to 800 million people on LinkedIn but actually only a very very small fraction of them are engaged audience doesn't mean that the people who are not engaged are not take, are getting a value you know they may not be engaged posting comments etc but they all get value they get value in different ways that goes to something I was saying to a friend of mine the other day. Um, like I started working on my app and my startup in December. So like some background of that was I had this idea uh, for like two years written in my phone for this uh, way to sort of do travel buddy matchmaking. And I'd written it down in my phone and I'd never told anybody about it because I'm an accountant, like I'm a CPA. We, I don't know. I, I didn't know the first thing about entrepreneurship or taking an idea and making it happen. So firstly, I had no idea how to get from A to Z. Uh, and secondly, I was nervous to tell anybody about my idea because I thought someone would take it. And then in December, I started to tell one friend of mine about it. She's a software developer. And she said, that's just such a great idea. You, here's five things that you should do. So I started to do the five things. And one of those was listening to podcasts, listening to YouTube videos, understanding how entrepreneurship works. And I quickly learned that the idea that someone will steal your idea is sort of a imagined risk rather than a real risk. Yes, someone can take your idea, but nobody's ever going to make it like you did especially when you're talking about like a platform or an app rather than a product and a product is much easier to replicate and steal. So I started working through this idea of launching my own startup. 
I joined an incubator. I think you you know that that here in Amsterdam, I did that for one month. It was a three month incubator. And I left after one month for a number of different reasons and it was the right move. I don't regret doing that. I can always rejoin later if I want to and I could join at a more advanced stage in the incubator. But through the incubator, they give you a lot of exercises and lessons on like you are constantly refining your pitch you're recording your 60 second pitch you are practicing your pitch in front of real investors and mentors so it was a really really valuable experience and they they're trying to teach you a lot about like you said a lot of investors invest in the jockey and not the horse and so they tell you at the beginning of the incubator don't marry yourself to your idea we're trying to coach you as an entrepreneur and your idea is going to go through 10 different versions. And in fact, a lot of people that ended up graduating from the incubator, their idea was completely different than when they started, because again, it's about them and not their idea. But one thing that the incubator is very good from an educational perspective and a practice perspective, but actually working with you on Fempeak and sitting next to you and having moments like this or other times where you've gone into a meeting and you're crying afterwards or you've had you've worked 18 hours the previous day and you're like i'm fucking tired this is a lot um like actually witnessing that and being a part of it is just completely different than being in an incubator and one of the things i said to my friend the other day because they were asking me what's happening with your with your startup and your app i said look i'm still working on it I'm still settling into my new role since I quit my job in May and, and, you know, getting clients takes time. And once that's a steady flow, then I can spend more time working on my app. But I also feel I tend to trust my gut a lot. My gut says it would pro like, I'm probably better suited from sort of a, the last 36 years of my life to work on my app as a, like as a hobby, as like a nice thing to do. But I think I'm better suited as support staff. Like, I don't know that I'm cut out no. to be it's the such founder. A good, such a good, Jasmine, such a good point because so many people want to be number one. They don't realize that the, being the number one, the weight on your shoulder, the, uh, the level, like you will be crushed you know, the level of, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, we have the Sherpani meetings, you know, everybody's working on the different areas. But at the end of the day, you can all go home and you can close your eyes and sleep and like, like not worry about where the money is coming, you know, where the next, you know, that like the weight is so different. It's like night and day, you know, so, so different for so many people being number two, they would like they would make so much more like the number two the number 19 at uh this is something by the way that i was gary vaynerchuk always mentioned the number 19 at facebook is earning you know way more millions and you know way more money than the number one at like some little startup that never gets to anywhere or or even somebody who is like running a small business and you know maybe making a lifestyle business so there are so many different layers to this there's like the lifestyle business then there's the kind of platform and like the, the start of the big startup company where you raise investment and you build it, build a big thing. And I have to tell you this, to some degree, you have to be a bit of a masochist to do this. 
Yeah, like you have to be somebody who loves pain. And I, I think I love pain, <laughs> you know, I love pain. And, and, you know, like my childhood was so difficult that the first time I thought about suicide, I was six years old. Yeah. You know, I literally, like I literally, I remember I was lying next to my mom uh, I was lying on her hand actually, and now my kitten lies on. Whenever she, oh, lies on my hand. it reminds me of that, right? So I used, I was like lying on my mom's arms, and I, at that time, you know, I didn't know what God was. I mean, I'm an atheist now, but uh, at that time, you know, you growing up in Iran, you hear the word God all the time. The God right, is yeah. God that you know, and pray, etc. So I prayed to God uh, to say and to, that either I don't wake up or my mom doesn't wake up because she was so abusive. I, I hated her. I, um, I Something had to her. change and it was either yeah, her or I you. I was so yeah. afraid of her, you know, that I, I just like literally prayed that either I die or she die, you know? So when you come from that kind of background, you know, and, and I'm not saying every entrepreneur has had a difficult background. So there's so right. many people, like Gary says, like he's had a, an amazing life and his mom was always so supportive. And, but everybody has their own tick, like chip on their yeah. shoulder. There's anybody who is, who is going to, who wants to do something really big, there's usually something wrong with their head. <laughs> you know, something like there's something going on, you know, that, that drives them to that degree of doing something really big. And, you know, sometimes it's it's almost, for some people, like for example, the founder of Ethereum, who's now 27, 28 or something, you know, for some people like that, it's a kind of savant almost. It's like a form yeah. of savant, you know? Yeah. So like, obviously some people go become like incredible musicians. Some people go become incredible athletes and some people go and do this in, in business. So, so there's so many different reasons why uh, well, actually, maybe there are not so many different reason, reasons. There are a number of reasons why uh, some people choose to create these types of, you know, big businesses. And then there are some elements of luck as well, being in the right place in the right time, you know, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So, like maybe Facebook, you know, maybe that was not necessarily the initial vision, you know, but then the opportunity came along and, and Zuckerberg took that opportunity and, you know, and he also happens to be somebody who has got something, who has got that talent and he's been able to do that. So for me, you know, my biggest achievement has been just being able to get myself out of Iran, you know, um, out of forced marriages, you know, uh, to, to my cousin, you know, like at the age of 17, you know, to get myself out of all of that, to come to the UK, to study in one of the best universities in the UK, you know, educate myself, pay for my own education, you know, and, and work, in, work in media, become a British citizen, starting my own business, making enough money from that first small business to then decide whether I wanted to go and build a big business. And I wrote a book about the future of work. And when I was writing that book, I actually have a whole segment on this scalable versus non-scalable businesses. And the idea of, do you want to run, do you want to build a small business, a, a lifestyle business? What is, what's the difference between that and building a big startup? Yeah. And when I finished writing the book, in the book, basically in that chapter, it's in critical thinking. Everything that I'm talking about is essentially telling people don't do it because, because this is going to be so hard. And this was before I decided to do a fan peak, right? Yeah. So I was like, you know, don't, if don't do it if you don't have a big, uh, thick enough skin. And, you know, you might think of like 
so you don't have a thick enough skin if you're crying after after a session. Yeah, but the thing is for me, it's like I'm just gonna lick my wound and then and then I'm gonna. It's get just up a release go, right? of the emotion because you, yeah. you you can't ignore that humans have that emotion. It's how you release it. And some people like me, I cry real easy, <clears throat> and it's just like get it out. And then five minutes later, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to keep going. Keep so going. I don't yeah, think exactly. that that's a symptom of like, I don't think that says anything. If you cry easily, it just, it's how you express the emotion. Everyone else is feeling I mean, it too. Yeah. And I think I don't, I don't always cry easily. I used to, uh, you know, that, and now I don't, but this one just really hard because also she reminded me, she likes she had the blonde hair and like, you know, like light eyes. Like she reminded me of that teacher, you know, who was also like that. And, and it just like, uh, it just was like okay here I am perfect storm with, <laughs> with another teacher you know who's like telling me off and then it's like you know you haven't done your homework you know and yeah. uh, so in in that chapter in my book I was like writing about this telling people essentially don't do it because this is so hard and um you know you will probably have a higher level of success running a small business or working for another company in the second the third the fourth yeah, but then when I finished that book, what happened was that initially um, with one of my clients, uh, Neurocore Bioelectronics, I helped them raise investment and I did such a good job. I think like to this day, um, probably the introductions that I made and the investment I raised for them counts for around maybe about a quarter of all of the money that they've raised so far and they've raised about 2 million so far. So, so I was like, okay, so I, I raised money for them I'm, I seem like to be good at this, right? So maybe yeah. I, I, maybe I, I could find the, the courage. And also I knew that I was itching for the next big hard thing, right? And I was yeah. going through a breakup and I was like, I just need like my, the masochist in me. And I was like, I need another torture, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I need, like, I've always been, I've always, you know, I have ADHD, right? So I, I, I uh, on the one hand, I can only focus on one thing at a time, but at the same time, I need to have several projects because I get bored. Otherwise, I need yeah. to just sort of be able to. So even my side hustle has a side hustle. Yeah, that's right. right. But I've always wanted, and I always wondered. I was like, what if I put all of my effort, like this incredible energy that I have? You know, I've always like I was in a death metal band while I was working in TV. You know, doing a a, a master's degree. You know, all of those things. So I thought like what if I put all of my energy, all these different things that I'm putting my energy into, into one thing, I think I would just be able, to, it would be so laser focused. I'm going to like, I'm going to burn through the mountain, you know, let, yeah. let alone, let alone climbing the mountain. I'm going to burn through the mountain. So I decided to put all of that energy into building this startup because then I wrote the book. And when I was writing the book, I looked at my references and I saw that 95% of the people that I've referenced are men. And the majority of jobs that are being affected are those of women's. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, and then going through that breakup, I just really felt like family and relationship is a huge reason why women don't succeed because, um, you know, by the time they're about to succeed, their um, biological clock and their, you know, the, uh, and their career clock are at odds. You know, I remember going through that breakup at some point, I actually told my ex, I was like, I love you so much that I'm willing to let go of my, um, you know, my uh, dreams and to be with you. But then I was like, 
bullshit. Am of I? Course you don't. <laughs> I mean, of course you don't, right? And what and he called my bullshit. He was like, Sumi, no, you know that that's not true. This is who you are. You're never gonna change. And I thought about it, I was like, yeah, he's right. I'm never gonna change. This is well, I think that's what's interesting and- about your story and and sort of the connection back to my situation is it's like it's always been there. And I think when I hear really successful entrepreneurs, there's something that's always been there. And for me, so like my background, um, I grew up in a very poor family. We were always on the brink of uh, uh, needing food stamps or those kinds of things, but my grandparents would always come save the day. I didn't know that at the time. Um, And I was very bright in school very, very bright. I was doing like university level mathematics when I was 10 years old. The teachers had to put me in the hallway because they didn't know how to teach me. They said, here's a college algebra book, go teach yourself. Then when you're ready to take the exam, here's the exam. And then here's the answer key. So grade your own exam and then write your scores in the book in the back of the classroom when you're done. So I was always very bright in school, always very driven, always looking for the next challenge. But there was never this entrepreneurial mindset like i'm going to do my own thing i'm going to create amazing things in this world. Um, I don't know if it just inherently wasn't there, or if I didn't have the mentors to sort of coach it out. I think it's a combination of genetics and uh, environmental so i'm the opposite so. Um, I started making money since I was 14. I've always made money. Uh, we were the same, like, uh, I mean, our level of poverty probably is very, very different to yours because yeah. it would be a lot worse, you know, yeah. I was in Iran. So it's, a, and also I was born during the Iran-Iraq war. So um, for me, you know, I, I had a business mind since I was uh, like very, very young. I remember my parents gave me um uh, pocket money and I had this uh little uh like you say piggy uh bank, piggy right? bank. But, yeah. but it was but it didn't look like a pig because pigs are not a thing in Iran right. you know <laughs> you know so there uh, so it looked like a house and and it had a key um so I would put my pocket money into that um it was just such a small amount right but um then at the end of the month my parents always ran out of money like 10 days or 15 days before the end of the month so then i used to bring my uh little uh you know bank and say to them uh you know let's let's take this money and go and buy fruit you know like so i always, always thought about money you know ahead of time by the time i was 14 i started teaching english because i taught myself english since i was you know 10 and uh, started making money. Then when I was 17, I started working for uh, as a tour guide. And this is where my entrepreneurial spirit really, by the way, even before that, when I started uh, teaching English, one of the other things I used to make jewelry. And then I used to go to the shops around my school and try to sell them my jewelry and they wouldn't buy it. Um, so they said, okay, we will put it in the, sh- in the, uh, in the window. If somebody buys it, then we will give you, you know, a cut. So, so that's how I started making money creating jewelry, teaching myself how to make jewelry and, and sell it. Um, by the time I was 17, uh, I um, uh, started working as a tour guide. And one of the things I, I learned was that I could actually make a commission uh, on anything that is a tour, tourist spot. So I used to take them to 
uh, I used to have like these big groups from uh, some of the embassies, especially like some of the Malaysian embassy, things like that, where they came as families. And I would take them to a shop. They would uh, do something, you know, they buy some uh, some things. And then I would take them to another shop. And then I, uh, while they were shopping there, I would go back to the first shop to get my commission. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, same thing, you know, uh, I used to take them to uh, buy Persian rugs and I got really big commissions on those because like a, a rug could be like a few thousand pounds, a few thousand dollars and, and then I would get a really nice commission on that. So that was like, by the time I was 17, I made so much money that uh, for we, we didn't have any furniture in the house. So actually I bought the first set of you furniture for our house, you know, and I was like, I was so proud of it because I bought furniture for our house. And uh, when I was 19, I started working for the Netherlands embassy. And again, what I was making dollars and, uh, you know, a, 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 and um, spending in real. So that enabled me to save. Uh, and I was really good at saving, saved the money. Then I, after uh, that, um, I came to the UK and spent that money on my education. So I've always made money. Money has been something that I've had a a comfortable relationship with even though my parents didn't you know like my my father always used to say that you know that like people who have money uh are essentially evil like they've done something wrong to make that much money and i i always thought that he was wrong and i I uh, didn't agree with him so so i i feel like i have a business mind so the entrepreneurial spirit was always there the other thing is that i was always a misfit i didn't fit into groups and like I never do well in classes yeah. I uh you know it, it, I, I do better on my own um probably because of my ADHD the way that I couldn't you know and and it's a certain degree of autism so I had like all these spectrum issues that were never dealt with in Iran because it wasn't a thing and uh, you know and I remember my teachers told my mom uh, that she should uh, look into you know maybe I have uh, like all of these symptoms and she said what you're saying my daughter is crazy I was like Nana it's not crazy like she seems like she has ADHD or something and and like you know that was not dealt with so um so it was a combination of I think for me it was a combination of um being uh not being able to fit uh into a society and uh having to create my own way so i used to think that if i'm not going to be fitting then i'm going to create my own society my own community right i like i mean from from the time i was 13 12 years old i i i also had this mindset of well my parents don't earn very much money they don't there's nothing left over for me like i would I had one pair of pants and I would have friends would gift me their old pants when their parents would like buy them new ones every summer. Like I'd get friends leftover clothes, um, maybe leftover clothes from my, my older siblings. But like eventually when I realized I could earn my own money, I was babysitting. I was working for my neighbor who ran an illegal business out of his home. He paid me in cash and I just worked in his office. Um, and and then by the time I was 16, I could like get hired in, a, in an actual like legal job. You know, I worked in a hardware store. I worked in a, a gas station where I sold sandwiches and pizzas. Like as soon as I could earn money, I was doing it. But it wasn't an entrepreneurial mindset. It was always as like an employee, as a staff person, as like a, as a wage earner. Um, and so I was by the time when I was 18 years old, like I was I I sort of felt self-sufficient. Like I, I could go out to eat whenever I wanted to, I could buy my own clothes. Like I, 
sort of other than rent uh, and let's say health insurance and some of those background expenses, I was paying my own way by the time I was a teenager. Uh, and then when I was in university, I, I moved out when I was like 20 years old or something like that. And my I think my parents just kept paying for my car insurance, uh, but I was paying for the car myself. I got braces on my teeth and I paid for those myself. Um, I was still like, I was racking up credit card debt, but I also knew when I graduated, I was going to be an accountant and I was going to make good money. So I was incurring debt to get through university, which I, I paid for myself. I got a lot of loans from the government and I, I knew I'd be getting a good enough wage being an accountant that I could pay off all that debt. There was like a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And I'm very grateful that I did not try to go to Harvard or something. I went to a university in my state. I paid $2,500 a, a semester for my education. So when I graduated, I had like 25,000 of student loan debt and like 15,000 of credit card debt. And then I think within five or seven years, I paid off all of that. Uh, but still, even throughout most of my life, I've never had an entrepreneurial mindset. This idea of hustles and side hustles and, and multiple streams of income was so foreign to me. It was always just, I'm a, I'm a wage employee and I was, I'm very good at what I do. I, the sort of, I could pick up any career in the sense that when I sit in front of something, I, I learn it, I figure it out, and, and I'm just, I'm naturally pretty good at some stuff. Not everything. Um, but I've been given jobs before where I had zero qualifications to do the job, but I interview really well, I'm very personable, uh, and people say, you know, even though you don't have the check boxes here uh, to tick off the things, we think you're the right person to figure it out. And I've, and, and that's how I ended up here in the career that I have today. And, and I think that also is very interesting when we think about women who sort of, besides the entrepreneurial thing, a lot of women historically will not apply for jobs where they don't tick all the boxes. You know, men might tick a few boxes, but they see their potential. And women, if they don't tick like 90% or greater, they won't bother applying. Like we've talked about that before with Jyoti. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this job that I got, I like, mid 20s like 25 or 26 i'd applied for a job i did not have qualifications for quite unusual for a woman i didn't get the job but human resources called me a month later and they said we've had this other position open up we think you'd be good for i read through the job spec and i said i'm not gonna lie to you i have zero experience in most of this like i tick two out of 30 tick boxes like yeah we just think that you have the personality to figure it out there's not many people that know this very niche subject so we think you'd be a great candidate to figure it out so i did take a chance on a position i didn't tick the boxes for and i ended up getting a job in a thing i ticked almost none of the boxes for but still through my career i'm 36 now i never had an entrepreneurial mindset it just never occurred to me so until it's so important that you have that um self-awareness though Right. I think so yeah. many people get into this entrepreneurship thing um, without, you know, yes. it's just because of because of the because of the word entrepreneur now being society taught, says it's right? cool. It's a buzzword. You yeah, should be an entrepreneur. Like, that's it. Right. And so, yeah. So you were saying that you uh, and you you knew that you didn't you did. It was not you. Right. And you didn't try to fit yourself into something that was. Well, I didn't like, know Ro Ro that it wasn't me. That. I actually wasn't sure. I'd never even thought about it. I had never considered being an entrepreneur. It just never crossed my mind. But 
I say this in our in our um, in our live mentorship sessions. My superpower is that I am a calculated risk taker. So I view risks and regret as I'm I'm never going to regret the things that I tried. I'm going to regret the things that I didn't try. So finally, when I had this idea for an app and my friend is like, you should do that. I thought to myself, maybe entrepreneurship is for me and I just don't know. And I've never been given the opportunity to taste it. Um, and so I sort of looked at it not as I want entrepreneurship. This is a thing that I've craved my whole life. I'd rarely thought about it. I looked at it more as that's a thing I could like and I'm willing to take the risk to see if it's good for me or not. And so in May, when I had the opportunity to work with you on Fempeak and basically freelance what I do professionally in the accounting and tax space, I thought, you know, after a year, what's the worst that could happen? That's my calculated risk taking. What's the worst that could happen? It's not right for me and I just get another job. Like it, I always think, what's the worst? And because I don't have children and I don't have a partner um, who relies on my income, I've got my two cats, um, that calculation is just much simpler there. And it's, it's always financial. It's not like, oh, would I pull my kids out of school to have to move back to the United States? Um, yeah, that's so I'm very lucky in that regard, but it was, so the, 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 drive to try out entrepreneurship was not because I had an entrepreneurial background or since a child I'd I'd been thinking that way it was more like so it's a buzzword everyone loves to talk about it it's a thing that gives you freedom why not give it a whirl and then I've felt like in the last we'll say eight eight or nine months I've just come to the realization like I don't have to be an entrepreneur just like you said for a lot of people don't do it it's not right for everybody and I also like what you what the the Gary quote that you said, the person who's 19th at Facebook is still doing better than, you know, number one or number two at like if if everybody if everybody tried to start their own business, if everybody tried to be a number one, then nothing would be successful. So there is a place for the number two and the number three and the number four. And I think that I'm better suited as support staff like I I feel comfortable there, firstly. And secondly, I think I just deliver a lot of value as the support yeah. person and not as the number one. So I just, in the last eight or nine months, like you said, that self-awareness, I'm like, I'm comfortable that I don't have to be an entrepreneur. I'm happy yeah. doing That's what I've so done. Important. So important. I really want to um, drive this point home a lot more because I think too many people go into entrepreneurship because they think it's the right thing to do is cool you know they think it's freedom it's not freedom you're a slave you're actually a slave you know to everybody i'm a slave to lola to like my team to you <laughs> everybody now to your cat <laughs> you, you know now to my cat right so you're literally you're you're a slave um you know you have the least amount of freedom everybody in my team has holiday time everybody in my team gets paid on time you know um i'm the one who has an holiday who has no holiday i'm the one who gets paid last or doesn't get paid at all you know and everybody's needs are uh, uh ahead of mine but 
there's something in it that I thrive. Like I say, you know, it's, a, it's a, you have to be masochist to do this. <laughs> you have to, and you really have like, to believe in the problem that you're solving. People that are like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. What should I do? What problem should I solve? Another, yeah, that's like a recipe for failure. I learned yeah, that firstly in my in my incubator. <laughs> I think if you're asking that question, if you're like, what kind? So really it should be the other way around yeah. you come across a problem right you know I didn't know I was going to do something with women about women until I wrote that uh, book and I realized and I went through a breakup so there was yeah. the combination of the book and the breakup that kind of made me realize that there is a real challenge here for women and I wanted to solve that problem so um, I always knew that I would be doing something, you know, that's why I was also running my own business. I already hired a, a few people. It was, so that was like a lifestyle business. And I knew that I needed something else, something big, you know, to, um, to I, I basically, I'm the kind of person that needs to be consumed, you know, in whatever yeah. it is that I'm doing, right? And we all have to, see, this is the, this is a, a metaphor that I always use. I say, there are some people who are like the sun and there are people who are like the earth right and uh when you look at the you know the uh, look at outside and, and i actually said this to sarah seager uh, who is you know an astrophysicist and she said she agreed with me with this metaphor because there are, there are far fewer suns there are many more planets right and the sun has to burn it's it's its character Constantly. to burn right it has to burn you know to uh, to give away energy and it finds its purpose you know in burning and then there are people who are like the earth who are like you can think about the support or you know the people who are um uh, who take energy from the sun and then they take that energy and and turn it into life right yeah. and so the sun itself can't sustain life which is like you know i i, I can't sustain oh. life right <laughs> But then there are people who uh, uh, who are like the earth, who, you know, they take that energy. So I feel like that that's my character. I need to burn. I have to burn. I must burn. This is my, you know, this is my my essence has to burn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this is how I see it. I, I love that metaphor. I'm going to think more about that. I also want to go back to this thing about relationships, because this was like a yeah. primary driver for Fempeak. So I know you've, you've told your story on your, on your podcast before, and, and I want to bring that together with mine to like, you know, contrast and compare these situations. I spent my twenties, uh, believing that there was this one and only true romance. I love Disney movies. I loved romantic comedies. I was in love with the idea of love and I was on the hunt for that person and spent all of my 20s doing that and not really investing in friendships to the level that I should have and not to the level that I do today. And then I was about 30 years old and I met him. The guy that I should have married. Funny, handsome, rocket scientist. I don't want children. I was very confident of that early on, but I also said, if I change my mind, if there's some future version of me out there that does end up wanting children, this guy would be a great dad. So he's like a great package deal, best friend, everything all in one. And then once I had that 
and we got on the relationship escalator you know what society says you should do we moved in together pretty soon we got a dog together we moved to another state and city together we were doing we were ticking the boxes that people do on their journey towards marriage and ultimately death and some some that's that's the hallmark of a successful marriage and on this planet is you die like that's that's the hallmark of a successful marriage um and that's what the where the journey is supposed to take you and somewhere on that escalator i just started getting really uncomfortable with the whole idea i was like gosh this is everything that i've wanted and now i have it and i'm deeply uncomfortable with all of this so what was it that you like what was the point that you realized you were uncomfortable what was what it was, was probably it? after about f- five months of living together all of the burdens of life maintenance i call it you know arguing over how to fold towels arguing over how to do dishes um the you know the loss of spontaneity in your romantic and love life all of those it, it really triggered with the moving in together um, and then moving to a new city as well when you don't know anybody and you're not making friends with new people because you're sort of relying on each other. Those were really starting to cause me a lot of discomfort. And at the time, I didn't really have the words to explain what it was that I was feeling. All I could say to him was this. Because uh, I knew I needed to express it to him in some way. I said, how does it feel for you if I tell you tomorrow if your job asked you to move to texas to relocate to texas that i wouldn't go with you because i hate texas and i would never live there and he paused and he thought about it and i said and also how does it make you feel if tomorrow spoiler alert i got offered a job to move to the netherlands and i accepted it without even talking to you and how does it make you feel that i wouldn't want you to come with me and the reason I wouldn't want him to come is because I he, he's a rocket scientist. He's working on sending people to outer space. I would not want him to sacrifice his career for my wanderlust, me wanting to move every two years and uproot myself. That's what I like doing. Um, and he said, yeah, I feel like I should be with someone who would want to talk to me about those things and that we're, we're doing it together. And I said, I don't think I can offer that to you. Just now that I'm in this, I don't, I can't give that to you and you deserve someone that can give that to you. So we un, we unattached ourselves romantically and, and, and physically. And we said, let's keep this friendship because there's such an, a beautiful relationship here. Uh, we need to retain that part, take off all the other parts that society, that relationship escalator that society put us on. We undid all that successfully and I moved to Europe. Um, I moved to Europe for a few reasons, but I do say one of those was to, one of those reasons was to rediscover my purpose in life because I spent all of my twenties thinking the greatest achievement that I can make on this planet is to find my one and only, fall in love, share life together for the next 50 years and then die. That to me was the pinnacle of a successful life And now that that was not on the table, I had this existential crisis of what is my purpose here? What is my, when I am on my deathbed, um, what are people going to go back and look and say, 
this it, even at my funeral what are the amazing things someone's going to say that i contributed to this planet what kind of person are they going to say that i was and on my deathbed when if someone if if somi asks me on my deathbed jesslyn did you did you have a good life i want to be able to react immediately and say it was fantastic it was so good i did everything that i was meant to be here to do so here i am 30 early 30s having this crisis of like what's my purpose here on this earth so I think that also fed into this idea of entrepreneurship as well, because that can give you this sense of there's something I should be doing that I'm not today. And what is it? Um, I'm still on this journey of finding what that purpose is, but it's, I would say on a scale of one to one, zero to 100, zero being the first day I realized this when I'd moved to Europe, that this relationship was not the pinnacle of success in my life. On a, that being zero and 100 being the perfect vision of what I'm here to do, I'd say I'm probably somewhere between 50 and 60, which is comfortable. Yeah. I feel good with that, but it's still an exploration and it's still, um, uh, I'm still looking for that vision, which means that I, I'm always open to, I don't ever get settled into, okay, this is my life. This is what I do. Um, whatever comes my way, I see, I just sort of process that and see how it fits into that vision of what I'm here to do. But I credit, I didn't know it at the time, I credit my disassembly of my traditional relationship with opening my eyes to saying, there's some other reason to be here. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that's interesting. So in that um, scale of, you know, one to a hundred, I would say that I'm probably in over 90. In That's what I would have guessed for you. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I have such a clear vision of why I'm here, what I'm doing, because this is a question that I've been asking myself since I was four years old. You know, yeah. I remember that I have such a clear memory of at four years old. I was looking into the mirror, crying, asking, who am I? Who am I? Like, wow, what is this? Why am I here? Why do I have At four years old? Four years old. Yeah, literally. I was like looking at my, my fingers and thinking, why do I have sense? Like, what can I feel? What is this feeling? Like, I would look at my eyes in the mirror and I was like, I feel like I know this person, you know? Like, I was trying to understand. I was like, who am I? Like, and I asked myself, like, where am I? Where was I before I got here? And it was like, but, and my mom said, you didn't exist, you know, like God hadn't created you. I was like, I didn't understand that, you know? Like, so so um, it was a, this question of who am I, why am I here was such a strong question for me that never went away. I used to have very vivid dreams as a child. Uh, and I remember this was before we had a TV um, and uh, before, I, and you know being in Iran like there was no movies there like you, you wouldn't have seen any kind of you know uh, uh, during the war so I had never seen anything with like screens other than like just the little tv that we got when I was six years old and I used to have dreams at five years old four five years old, like definitely before we had tv I used to have dreams that when I opened the book it turned into a screen and then I could see things in the screen like, and now it reminds me like a uh, iPad, right? Yeah. right? You know, so, uh, so um, and I, I had this, these dreams of 
wherever I looked, there were screens. I, like whatever, whatever I picked up, there were screens and I could interact with those screens. So those are, those are things that I, um, I had experience with since I was a child and this question of what is life. So the things that, there were a few things that really helped me understand what life is and why I'm here. And the moment I, I solved that uh, question for myself, uh, I, uh, you know, and the way that I solved that question, I don't know necessarily whether scientifically is 100% correct, but definitely there is a combination of philosophy and science there. And it just calmed my soul and, and enabled me to, uh, to then concentrate on now living the life. So it essentially became my philosophy. And that the answer is, there's this book called What is Life uh, by um, uh, Schrodinger, you know, the famous physicist, where he essentially what he says is that life, what life is, if you think about from the moment uh, that Big Bang happened, the Big Bang happened, uh, the universe went from being in a state of complete um, order and you know and being completely like this tiny little thing that uh, that then exploded uh, to the, the state of you know uh, disorder because at the more it, it expanded the disorder uh, you know expanded as well the disorder also became mm -hmm. more more and more right the entropy right that's what the entropy is so understanding this concept of entropy he really helped me so basically then he's like okay so we went from order to entropy from order to disorder and the more disorder the better because then in this state of disorder as these particles are constantly multiplying and, and breaking down and crashing into each other what happens is that there will be moments within this journey. So think about the uh, the age of the universe is now around 14 billion years, 13 and a half billion years or something. So during this time, as we are going to, uh, from let's say if, if the universe was like uh, one organism. So from the moment of Big Bang, we are now, the universe is like uh, a teenager, you know, or mm -hmm. a toddler or whatever, right? In, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and probably not a teenager, probably more like a toddler. Um, and then at this moment, so basically what he's saying is that from these particles randomly, uh, some of them randomly get together and, uh, they, tr they uh, and they create constellations that these constellations then create order within themselves. And that order is life. You know, that's what life is. So that, that's why there's the, the entire universe, you know, there's, uh, in a state of disorder and then there are pockets of life and one of those pockets of life is our earth and one of those pockets of life within that is intelligent life which is us and to the best of our knowledge we don't know of any other intelligent lives there may be it's entirely possible but uh, there are physicists uh, like Professor Sarsiger, who's one of our Shapanis, there are physicists like her that really believe there is other pockets of life. That's what their whole life, their whole career is dedicated to finding that life. I just watched her life. Netflix episode about this the other day. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, yes, yeah. So I need to, I need to find that. Um, so, but, um, uh, you know, so there are people like her who talk, talk about it being uh, entirely possible that uh, there is and they're looking for it and then there are people like physicist Ma Max Techmark who say like um, that it's not possible because they uh, they've done a, a, like mathematical explanation of why it's not possible I'm not a physicist I don't know the answer but it does make sense to me that 
it would make sense that the universe would want to keep creating lives, uh, life, you know, different forms of life, because that that's otherwise all that disorder needs to be, you know, uh, somehow needs we need those pockets of life to. Um, so now, okay, now here's the thing. What is the 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 funny thing about this, which is the really uh, quirk of life, is that actually what life does life creates more disorder okay let me give you an example what i mean you think about uh think about you come home right and your house is in a state of disorder your stuff is all over the place you know your uh, socks are here there's you know food in the uh, in the sink all that stuff unusual for me but i can imagine it okay yeah for example (laughs) right and what do you do you tidy it up when you tidy up, you put all of that into the bin. What do you do with that bin? You take it out and put it in the bin outside. By doing that, what you're doing, you're tidying up, you're creating more order in your inner circle, but you're taking that disorder and putting it in the bin <laughs> in, into the next circle. So, so in my book, I, I, I explain these different circles. So, yes, so there's the circle of me, my family. Uh, my uh, city, my country, my planet, right? So every time we are trying to solve a problem for ourselves, we're pushing that, you know, the, like, for example, we package to food to enable it to last longer by the time it gets to us from the, from the supermarket to us. But by doing that, we're creating more uh, disorder, right? We're creating more mess. Yeah. You know, we are, we are damaging the planet. So we haven't figured out there's, and this seems to be the inherent nature of life. So one of the things that Schwarzenegger talks about is that these pockets of life, in trying to create order for themselves, they create more disorder in the outer environment. Mm-hmm. And actually they accelerate, they accelerate the entropy on the bigger level. So, mm-hmm. so it almost feels like the ultimate purpose of life, if purpose is the right word, maybe purpose is not the right word, the ultimate trajectory of the universe is death, right? Because the, in this, it started with this little thing and then it keeps expanding and expanding and expanding and eventually it dissolves. Like it, it just, so either it will end with, we don't know either it will, it will end with a big crunch or it will just like expand and, and just dissolve eventually. So whatever uh, is happening, we know that it's a death. It ends with a kind of death. But in the process of going from this being the baby universe to, to dying, in the process, it creates these pockets of life. But those pockets of life, they accelerate the death of the universe. But in the process of doing that, they create experiences. So, so really, the ultimate purpose of the universe for me is the experiences that we create. 100%. Right? Like, so it's the experiences we create. So the, then I thought, okay, so my purpose in this life is to create the most exciting experience that I can. Like, I want to live like fireworks and I want to die like fireworks, you know? So it's like, then you choose, you know, you need to then figure out that's where the self-awareness comes out. So you want to find out what is your style of experience and and the other thing is you know the question of whether you have free will or not this is such a stupid question people and you know it's just like it's philosophically it has been there and people it's to me it's quite obvious you 
it's a combination. You, you don't have complete free will and you don't have complete, uh, you know, you're not completely in uh, slave to your, to your um, in a prison. Uh, genes. And, and right the way I see it, you're co-creating your life. You're co-creating your reality with the universe. And, uh, and the universe is like, you know, bundles of probability, like, like bubbles of probability. And what we are, each of us is like these, uh, we are like a bubble of probability. And, and it could burst earlier, it could burst sooner, it could burst in different ways, you know, like it could, uh, when it bursts, it could create a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a rainbow, <laughs> you know, like there are all sorts of ways that a bubble can burst and a bubble can last for long enough. Right? So we are, we are part of these bubbles of probability. I'm fascinated with probability theory because, uh, and, and chaos and complexity. So it's like, you know, then it's a question of, knowing where you are in the geometry, you know, there's a geometry to this universe, right? To these bubbles, right? to understand where you are in this, in the, in the geometry of this thing. And are you in the right place? You know, if you think about the topology, are you in the right place for, for creating the kind of life, the kind of experience that you want? And I knew that I couldn't create that when I was uh, when I was in Iran. It couldn't yeah. like I, I always knew I had to get out to be able to have the freedom to do what I want to do. So it's, so that to me that it's so clear. This is the the experience that I want to create. That I know how I'm going to live. I know how I'm going to die, and and I know the experience that I want to create. And it's to me it's almost so clear that I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I, I, I know I, I've lived it, right? And I just hope that maybe we can share that same level of um, clarity, bring that level of clarity to everybody. And to me, technology is a huge part of this. Technology, science, you know, this is a huge part of this. And uh, I think that I almost feel as a philosopher, I almost feel like technology has a life of its own. Technology is one of those life forms, you know, like there's not just one life form, what Schrodinger talks about the way that, you know, bond, uh, the, uh, the universe, you know, creates these bundles of probability and then they, they create life, right? Technology is a life form. Mm. And the way I see it is that, you know, we always talk about technology, technology is in, in our, in our, um, Vocabulary, technology is a name that we give to the set of tools and techniques that we use to further ourselves, to, uh, you know, to um, uh, enhance our abilities. But actually, there's another way of looking at it. Technology could be a life form in itself, and technology is using us to mm. further itself, right? And the way I see it, up until now, humans and technology have been going parallel, and, and they've been co creating with each other two forms of life co-creating with each other but actually now we're getting to a point that technology could take off it could actually you know it could find a whole life of its own that may not even need us you know yeah. it's like almost like it's lived through a, you know through uh, the the slow form of evolution which is the genetic evolution and now we have the mimetic uh, evolution mm -hmm. right so so the reason why I'm so excited about Fempeak is that I feel like women, and especially millennial women, uh, you know, the millennial generation, I feel that we are the most important uh, 
generation in history because uh, we are the link between pre-digital and post-digital. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing is that women, millennial women, are another level of uh, you know importance to this. So uh, I'm hoping. Yeah, sorry, I got carried away with my. No, no, I want to go back to this point you made about the because um, I, you've described a lot of things that I've I've never thought in the, like the level of depth that you have. But while you were describing um, these bubbles, for example, and and they they they're they're bursting. Um, this comes back to a couple points that we've we've talked about with Fempeak, uh, but also here in this conversation about entrepreneurship, that I'm. I'm I'm imagining back. I'm a visual person. To February 2020, before the pandemic was making its way through the world, but like Europe and and the United States had not shut down um, at, at that point yet. And I had traveled to Africa. I flew to Nairobi, Kenya. I then went to Kigali, Rwanda, and then I took a car to. Um, Gisenyi, which is in Rwanda on the border of the Democratic Republic of Congo. On the other side of the border is Goma. And then about 15 minutes from Goma is Virunga National Park, which is most famously known for the gorillas that you can go, uh, like silverback gorillas that you can go on a trek and like see gorillas. But the other thing that Virunga is most famously known for is uh, Mount Niragongo, which is an active volcano and it is the world's largest active lava lake. And actually this year, uh, Mount Niragongo unfortunately erupted and it killed uh, some number of people in Goma because it's only 15 minutes away. Um, but a year and a half ago, it was still a thing that you could hike. It's a five hour trek. Uh, the wonderful and amazing security guards of the Virunga National Park escort you up this amazing volcano, five hours. You then camp on the rim of the volcano. Literally, you can hear the lava exploding while you're laying in your bed. Um, and they're like wooden huts to protect you from the wind. So it's not camping in a tent. But I spent hours sitting on the edge of this volcano, just watching the earth consume itself and explode. And, and it was like, I can't even articulate how like I get emotional talking about having witnessed that thing. It is one of the coolest, most life-changing things that I've ever watched. And when you were describing these bubbles and their explosion of like each of us, there is some explosion uh, that's that happens that's meant to be there. But when I remember looking down into that lava pit, there's some bubbles that grow exponentially huge. And then when they burst, it is this gushing explosion. But also all around that giant bubble are all these really little bubbles that like never, they never grow to the same size. They just kind of go mm -hmm. boop and they yeah. do a little poop. Yeah. And it's a nice reminder that like not everybody is going to be, not everybody is meant to be that big yeah. explosive one. And I think that that comes back to the conversation about entrepreneurship as well, is that everybody can't be, everyone isn't meant to be the number one. Everyone isn't meant to be the founder. Uh, because it, 
and, and, and also if you think about employment as well, I'm thinking back to some of my earlier days uh, where I managed larger teams of people. I, I manage fewer people these days, well, none today, but in the past when I've managed people, um, I've worked for companies where you're up or out. If you are not trying to be the explosive uh, energy bubble, uh, then you're not meant to be in this company and we ultimately push you out. I've also worked for companies where we appreciate the little bubbles mm-hmm. that just, they're, they're never meant to be the big one. They want, they want to come to work every day and they just want to be that tiny little bubble that grows a little bit and then a little burst and then it falls back and then it does its thing continually and continually. So I think it's important for people to hear these messages about our our purpose on the earth and entropy and these our potential explosive nature and recognize that like you are not a failure if you are never meant to be that big bursting bubble exactly. not everybody can be not everybody can be not everybody wants to be like i no. said you know the you think about the fact that we talked about the sun burning it's burning it hurts man yeah <laughs> <The> burning hurts <laughs> But which one is nicer being the being the earth and like enjoying yourself and getting all the sunshine or being burning you know like it, but it's a nature like it's in your nature you can't help it you know it's uh, and that's what my ex said to me you know it was like you're meant to be that way it's your nature and he said look i've done and he was very successful and he was like i've done it i know what it's like you are going through the same journey that i did when I was building mine, all I'm saying to you is that it was so hard. I don't want to be near another person who's burning like that. <laughs> I don't want to get the spatters from your bubble bursting. <laughs> That's, That's exactly right. And then that again went to his level of uh, of self awareness because I was, you know, a lot younger, maybe less uh, self awareness, less, uh, less uh, you know, experienced. And and he was like, you know, I uh, I've done this. I've been there. I I've done exactly what you did that's your he he actually told me he said we are too similar because you know i've done i've I've already been through this journey and it's gonna not gonna be nice it's not gonna be you know you're gonna be crying i don't want the sunburn from being next to you (laughs) yeah exactly exactly it's been such a great conversation jessalyn it's been so good working with you over the past um months uh and i hope that we work together for a very long time because I think we complement each other so well and we had some very candid conversations today and we both shared our you know uh, our stories and uh, you know our our thoughts on entrepreneurship and and so many other things it was a pleasure i hope you enjoyed this conversation with jessalyn dean be sure to attend her fantastic sessions on finance and wealth building on FemPeak. She always brings some amazing guests that you really don't want to miss. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Somi Ariane podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. You can also find the full video of these conversations on my YouTube channel and connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. Finally, if you're not yet a member of FemPeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register, and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.